Good morning, ladies. It's another Tuesday. Yay, my favorite day. I'm so grateful to gather with you. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into God's word together. Lord, as we gather this morning, you know how we all come. You know where our souls are at this morning. Maybe they're pretty filled up. Maybe they're about halfway. Maybe they're running on empty. And so, Lord, I pray that in this time now that you would meet with each one of us and speak a gracious word. Give us the words of life, the words of hope that we need to hear from you. We're looking to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get started this morning, I just want to mention that on your notes page, there's a book that I've recommended, Soul Care by John Ortberg, and a couple of songs. I find that when I'm needing some time to, to renew my spirit, to renew um, my mind, that music often is helpful. So a couple of um, some of my latest favorites. And I want to begin with this question this morning. How do you know? that your soul is running on empty. Do you have any red flags <laughs> that come? For me, I know when I'm weary and discouraged, when I'm just on the verge of tears like all day long, right? Or I know that when I'm just so physically exhausted that the only option <laughs> at that moment is I must <laughs> take a nap. Absolutely. I remember when my son Noah was, you know, the whole brood of four kids was at home, and I'm a morning person, so when it was getting to be near the kids' bedtime, I was, you know, I was running on empty. Didn't have anything really good left to give to my family, and he would say, Mom, you can go to bed now. <laughs> he was right. He was right. So when those moments come, I've, I've learned. I remember even in my college years, always being the one that had to be involved in everything. I was leading this and serving here and, and getting to the point where the Lord was trying to teach me, oh, sweetie, you're giving out here, there, and everywhere. When will you take time to be with me, to receive from me so that you have something to give the people around you? So I'm getting to the point where I'm noticing the red flags. I know when there's a time when I absolutely must zip up my lips, right? When I shouldn't be around other people, when I need to get alone and be with him. Sometimes, for me, a lot of times it's um, taking a walk on the, by the, a beach or by the river, just getting out in nature just renews me. He meets me there. So we're talking this morning about soul care, and we're jumping into the middle of the story. It was kind of a cliffhanger, really. Last week, we left Elijah at the broom tree, right? And so if you open with me to 1 Kings 19, we, had, we saw this drastic change in Elijah in our study last week, right? He, up until that point, he had 
proven himself to be a man who trusted and obeyed the Lord and had great boldness and courage and perseverance. And yet here we find him at his lowest moment. And I'm so glad that the Lord included this for us in the scriptures because I just find myself right there with him. Don't you? (laughs) So we've seen that Elijah had run for his life 120 miles to the very southern end of the promised land, as far away from Jezebel as he can get. And this was the first time that we see him going somewhere without being first directed by the Lord. It seems he's a little bit like Jonah, running away and not following God's plan. And so let's pick up in verse 4 of chapter 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him again, right? And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives the exact same answer, right? We see in verse 14. And then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of, don't you love this name, Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, something like that, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet 
I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So here we find Elijah completely weary. He's exhausted in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Jezebel's threat on his life seems to have broken something in him. There was this great victory at Mount Carmel, but now Elijah's completely defeated. He has a broken and crushed spirit. It's as if he's saying, I'm done. He let it, left his servant behind. It's as if he's quitting. He's saying, I'm done being a prophet to people who will only give the Lord lip service and not their hearts and lives. He's dis- disillusioned. He seems to have forgotten all that the Lord has done. The Lord's great provision for him at the brook and in Sidon, the raising of the widow's son, the consuming fire on the altar at Mount Carmel, the gift of rain after the long drought, running faster than Ahab's chariot, so many wonders. But he seems to have forgotten them all at this moment. He says, the people have forsaken your covenant. And yes, they had, but there at Mount Carmel, at least they had proclaimed, the Lord is God. Elijah is not God, and he cannot know every single person's heart. You know, he doesn't know what's happening in all of their hearts. He's making some assumptions, I I believe. And then he goes on to say, they have torn down your altars, which they had. Yet Elijah had rebuilt one altar there. And oh, the Lord had received its offering, hadn't hadn't he? Right? And he also says, they've they've killed your prophets. Had Elijah forgotten what Obadiah had done and shared with him, how the Lord had worked through Obadiah to save a hundred prophets? And he goes on to say that his ministry has failed, just like all of the other prophets that have gone before him. He, at this time, is blind to all the good things that God has done. And poor Elijah, he's suffering with a bad attitude, right? He is frustrated that Ahab and Jezebel haven't repented and that the people haven't risen up to overthrow them. When he says, I've been jealous for the Lord, look at all I've done. It's, it's like he's just focusing only on himself. Look at all I've done for you, Lord. I'm the only prophet who is willing to stand up for you, for your name, for the glory of your name. When I see Elijah here, I see myself. Don't we all, in our moments of despair, have the tendency to just obsess over ourselves? He's saying, I think I'm the only one that's faithful to you, Lord. Wah, 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 right? And it seems he's also saying, I've done my part, God. 
Why aren't you doing yours? This is what I get? There's, I don't see any change happening in these doggone people. <laughs> when are they going to turn back to you? Why aren't you doing what I thought you would do? He cannot see beyond his unfulfilled expectations. One commentator says, he is a man in a dark mood in a dark cave. The darkness is all he can see. Have you ever been there, ladies? Yeah. We all have at some point. But, oh, does the Lord meet Elijah in his despair. The Lord's response. I've got a picture for you here of a broom tree. <laughs> and I can just imagine Elijah there, right? Oh, the tender care he received under the broom tree. Refreshments and rest. And the Lord provides him with a supernatural strength so he can journey for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he goes to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, the same place where the Lord had called Moses through the burning bush, the same place where the Lord had covenanted with Moses and Israel that he would be their God and they would be his people after saving them mightily by bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. It was here, after Israel had worshipped the golden calf they had made, that Moses sought the Lord once again and met with him on the mountain and cried out, Lord, show me your ways, show me your glory. And there the Lord hid Mo Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it was there that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. I encourage you to go back if you have time and read through this beautiful passage that's found in Exodus 33, beginning with verse 12, all the way to this point. This is who the Lord is. It's who he proclaimed to be to Moses way back then and who he is still today. And this is the God that met Elijah there at the mountain. And he gives him an invitation. Come out and stand in my presence. And here he reveals more of himself we find in verses 11 and 12, God reveals himself through the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And the wind reminds us of God speaking to Job from a great whirlwind. And the earthquake reminds us once again how when Moses had gone up to meet with God on this very mountain, the people all stood below 
And the scripture tells us that the earth quaked, the mountain trembled, and the fire would have reminded for, for sure Elijah of, of what had just taken place at Mount Carmel as well as the Lord revealing himself through the burning bush and leading his people, right, with a cloud by day and the fire by, no, by night. And it's as if God is saying to Elijah, you cannot put me in a box. You cannot tame me. I am so much more than you will ever know. I am mighty and powerful and able to make you tremble and bring you to your knees, but I am also compassionate and gentle and near. I see you and I remain with you and I am the one who tends to you. So I think the ultimate expression and gift that God gives of himself and the way that he reveals himself is through this gracious whisper, a still small voice, a gentle wind, or a thin silence, depending on your, the version that you're reading. And unlike the dead god Baal, when the prophets had offered their prayers on Mount, Mount Carmel, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. That's 1 Kings 18, 29. But here, the Lord, the living God, pays attention to his broken and weary servant. And he speaks tenderly to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he's not saying, what are you doing here? As if he's surprised. And he's not asking a question because he needs to learn something new. But he's trying to reach Elijah deep into the dark despair, reach him right where he's at. And I think for me, when I see that question, I want to emphasize maybe two words. The what and the here. What is he doing? He's whining. He's in a place of deep darkness, right? And here, the Lord is letting him know, I didn't tell you to come here, right? I didn't tell you to run away from Jezebel. But at the same time, the here speaks of this significance that Elijah is has come to this place where Moses longed to see God. And God revealed himself there, and Elijah's in this same place. I think this, is, this question is asked gently. I don't think the Lord is shouting at him. It's convicting, but he's not berating Elijah. Elijah had been the one who proclaimed that the Lord alone is God and his people should not turn away to worship any other dead gods. And now the Lord seeks to help Elijah turn from his idol, his expectations, his plan. 
the Lord is gently challenging Elijah to practice what he's been preaching. And the Lord is oh so patient here, listening to Elijah answer him two times in exactly the same way. He doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't lecture. He doesn't condemn. He patiently listens and asks the question again. When Elijah gives the same exact response, it seems as if maybe Elijah's not listening. The Lord is doing all of the listening. Elijah seems to just keep telling the Lord how awful things are. And yet in this moment, the Lord reveals his plan and gives Elijah some instructions. He's going to go anoint a pagan king, a new king of Israel, and a new prophet, Elisha. Elijah is to accept that he is part of God's plan, but he is not the plan. (laughs) The Lord is going to continue to pursue his people and be faithful to them. But a covenant renewal, a giant revival, is not going to happen during Elijah's watch. And then the Lord also gives Elijah, in verse 18, such sweet assurance that he is not alone. The Lord has preserved a remnant. There are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed him. He's saying, Elijah, you're not alone. There are many who are still devoted to me, their covenant God. This is not all on your shoulders. I'm working out my plans. Trust me. So, as we finish up our time this morning, I want to focus on some just really practical things. We're talking about soul care. And we've seen how the Lord met so graciously and tenderly with Elijah when he was completely running on empty, right? I think of that Jackson Brown song, right? Running on empty. That's what we have a tendency to do. I cannot tell you in the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this lecture how many conversations I've ended up having with people and tried, and also myself living it. I think I told Julie coming out of study last week, I'm running on empty. I need to go rest, right? We have a tendency to try to keep going, keep going, 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 staying on the treadmill, when really the thing that is most needed is for us to do some soul care. Soul care, we found in our study this week, is not just about tending to the spiritual aspect of our lives. We can't really separate out spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. It's all wrapped up. So soul care involves taking care of our whole being, right? Body, mind, and soul. Soul care is taking care of your body, mind, and soul. Gordon MacDonald recalls an early time in his pastoral ministry when he was called to go to the home of one of his congregants. A young husband had died through an accident, a terrible hunting accident, and he was called upon to go sit with this grieving family. And he says, 
I was pulling my car out of the driveway of my home and I realized my soul was empty. I had nothing to give. And it was then and there that I resolved to seek to never be caught again with an empty soul. He realized he owed his flock a filled up soul. And so I want to just gently encourage you this morning. There's no one else in this world that can take care of your soul. It's up to you. To take that time away, to be with the Lord, to get some sleep, go take a nap (laughs) when you're tired and grumpy. Eat well. Get outside and move your body and get those endorphins going. I just want to encourage you to have ongoing practices in your life that refill your soul and strengthen your mind in the Lord. So I want to ask you today, Where's your broom tree? Do you have a place where you go? Do you have a pattern that you've set? My friend Kathy Detto says this, that it's our job, that we, we are the ones that we need to grow in our capacity to receive our lives from Christ. It may look a little bit different for each one of us, the practices that we develop but we need to be receiving from the Lord so that we have something to give. I also just want to say practically, don't be surprised when moments of despair come. Right? We're human and they will come. But I would encourage you to have a game plan for when those times come. What will you do? How will you go to the mountain of God and meet with him? I think one of the things we can do in those times is remember how God has provided and worked wonders in the past. I think we've shared in our groups over the last few weeks about the times when God worked in undeniable ways. There are markers in our lives that we need to go back to to remind us of who he is and what he's done on our behalf. We also need to trust that the Lord is working in ways that we cannot see. Our Lord works not only big, amazing ways that we cannot miss, he also works in quiet, hidden ways, slowly but surely. We must trust him when we don't see any big changes or fire coming down from heaven. He is still mighty to save and can restore people who have turned away from him. In those dark moments, give him your plans that haven't worked out as you'd hoped. Offer up to him your broken heart, your frustrations, and ask him to give you the face to trust him to work in his way in his time. we need to have just an ongoing practice of keep seeking to know him and so that our vision of him will keep getting bigger. Julie reminded us last week that we have this tendency to make God too small. 
Yet, he is immeasurable, infinite, so much greater than any of our notions of him. We can't control him or tame him, but let's keep seeking him and asking him to have the small picture that we have so far to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We must be ones that practice taking refuge in the Lord, enjoying him in solitude and listening for his gentle whisper. I encourage you, if you haven't already, to create a spot in your home where you meet with the Lord. Mine is a chair on the east side of my house where I get to see the sunrise over the trees in the mornings because as I get older, I seem to be more and more of an early bird. (laughs) And it's there in that chair where my day begins. And sometimes it's just very quietly. It's not nothing super fancy. Don't think I'm super spiritual. (laughs) But it's there. That's my broom tree spot. Where the Lord is very tender with me. Where he listens to me. Where when I'm quiet, he'll bring a scripture to my mind. Or a phrase. And it's fun to see because often when he does that, then as I'm going throughout my days, the Lord will affirm it again and again, right? I want to encourage you to just keep marinating your soul in God's word. What a gift it is that he speaks to us individually from his ancient word that he's preserved for us. Do we get it, ladies? That the God of the universe speaks to us when we look to him in his word. I saw a high school friend this last weekend, and her dear mom passed away when we were in high school. And she talks about how she has a stack of letters that her mom had written to her dad when they were dating. And what a treasure that is for her, her to be able to open these letters and see her mom's handwriting. It's such a gift. And then I think of this letter to us, right? Letters written directly to us, somehow by his spirit, right? It doesn't change. The words in here don't change. But he speaks to us so tenderly and individually. Just the word that we need, just at the right moment. And then I want to encourage you to surrender and follow where the Lord leads you. Don't be demanding regarding your job description or God's job description. I would encourage you when you pray to open your palms to the Lord, offering up your concerns and open to receiving his plan, saying your kingdom come, your will be done. It's during these times of solitude when we meet with him that he will get your eyes off of yourself and direct you to his kingdom work and towards bringing good to others when he tells you where to go and what to do and then i would we all pray together lord move our feet (laughs) let us go where you send us lindsay small a dear friend of mine a pastor says this faithfulness to god is doing what he gives you to do without seeking recognition and without expectations. Lord, may we surrender our expectations to you. 
Help us to be faithful to you. And our author, Melissa Spelstra, says this. Wherever you are, God wants to meet you there and minister to your soul so that you can carry on the work he has for you. He's a mighty, awesome God, but he's tender, and he meets us just where we are. May we we be ones who keep meeting with him. Blessings today, ladies.